Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And, and this, this is... is the Science of Motherhood. Hello and welcome to The Science of Motherhood. I am your co-host, Dr. Renee White. This is our little side passion, little side hustle when we are not doulering for Fill Your Cup. So Fill Your Cup is a doula village. We are Australia's first biochemist doula village servicing Melbourne and Hobart and a big shout out to our doula team, Georgie, Amanda, Caitlin, Samara and Kate and also my sidekick, Dr. Mika Batucci, who you will hear on the upcoming episodes that we have. What is a postpartum doula, you might be saying? So we are essentially the village that you may have lost. <laughs> you know, in the West, we seem to have nuclearized families now and, you know, friends and family may not be close by and they are one of the most important factors in supporting mamas in that newborn period. And if you don't have that support, that is where a postpartum doula can be absolute gold. So we come and visit mamas typically once a week for three-hour sessions. We bring beautiful, organic, nourishing food. We make hot meals for you, beautiful snacks like our chop goji lactation cookies, apple and date loaf. One of our recent menu additions, which is absolutely going gangbusters, is our tahini fudge with dark chocolate that seems to be on the dial at the moment for requests in terms of main dishes oh our hunter chicken stew is by far the most popular item but we also have things like our pork slow roasted pork carnitas with pineapple salsa and our mexican chicken tortilla soup now if you are salivating listening to all of that you can pop over to ifillyourcup.com and check out our offerings. We do um, six-week or 10-week programs with mummers. But if you are looking for the most perfect baby shower gift, and let's be honest, she doesn't need another onesie or another wrap, get your friend a fill my cup day. So that is a single one-off session. It's three hours with a doula. We can come in, make those beautiful nourishing meals, provide a nice shoulder massage, hold Bubby while mama goes have a hot shower or a sleep. It is literally the Mary Poppins for mothers. And I'm not joking. We've actually been referred to as that. <laughs> So if you want to be the best, bestest friend for life, get your, get your sister, your lover, your cousin, your BFF a fill your cup day. So you can have a look at those at ifillyourcup.com. Now, today's guest. Oh, 
beautiful Laura. Oh my goodness gracious me. I've been chatting with Laura for quite some time on Instagram and isn't it funny the village of women that you find on the internet. Laura is a French Chilean mum of a daughter and two cats. She's a scientist. She's a holistic sleep coach, a wife in a multicultural family, which is what actually drew me to her first. And as she quotes, a woman who wants to empower women. Dr. Laura Gonch is originally a geneticist and then moved to Melbourne, Australia, where she did a PhD in human sleep physiology. So this This woman knows her thang on sleep physiology because we get a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm a sleep specialist or I'm a sleep consultant. It's like, trust me, Laura is the expert on sleep. However, after becoming a mum, she found so much conflicting information. Does this resonate with anyone else? (laughs) About science and baby well-being. And she felt really, really triggered. I'm putting my hand up here. I definitely resonate with this. And she wanted women and mums to be more informed so that they can make the right decision for their specific needs and their family. So she wanted to make some holistic sleep approaches because sleep is more than just sleep, right? You've got to look at the full picture, what's going on, what's in the environment, you know, all integrates together with sleep and sensory environment and feeding. And so Laura has kind of, I guess, pushed back against that mainstream sleep training or crying out and she provides the science and integrates that into her practice. So in today's interview, we are going to deep dive into who Laura is, what her PhD was all about, what did she learn, and then take how did she take that information into motherhood? What was her strategies for sleep? Did she have strategies for sleep walking into it? And, you know, and as I said, how was she informed by her PhD? We're going to look at the sleep and the nervous system. We're going to talk about the realities of total sleep time and those sleep windows that keep cropping up. (laughs) Spoiler alert, not every baby has the same sleep window. So if you were like me in those newborn days and you felt like you were a slave to sleep windows, I think this interview is really going to help you perhaps just let it go a little bit. I hope you really enjoy this episode. You can also reach out to Laura for some consultant working one-on-one. You can find her at SciWOM.org and she provides consultations and support via her website there you can find out all the details so without further ado here is dr laura gonche hello and welcome to the podcast dr laura gonche how are you oh my goodness thank you for having me i'm so happy to meet you to chat and to exchange our scientists and you know motherhood passions (laughs) yes and you are like 
essentially the accumulation of like my dream woman. You're French. I love France. So I think we've spoken offline. I got um, married in, in Paris. We eloped and you are living in Japan, which I've already announced to you that I'm coming next year. So yes. I love Japan. It's so, so amazing. And of course you're a scientist and mother. So like, you've got like, what is that? The, is that the quartuplet or something like that? I don't know. I think <laughs> I might just made that made that term up. But Laura, we, we first connected on Instagram because I think, you know, we're science nerds. We're working in the motherhood space, as you've kind of alluded to, and people would have already heard from the introduction that you are someone who is working in like the sleep kind of space as well. But you're a little unique because you didn't just kind of like land here. You have been working at this for quite some time because you've done a PhD in sleep physiology. Do you want to just give us a little rundown on who you are, how you ended up? I want to also hear how you ended up in Japan as well. I find that fascinating. I thought um, you were going to say, how how did you end up doing your PhD in Australia? Because basically oh, we probably crossed paths at some point. We probably did. <laughs> we probably did, you know, many, 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 yeah. many moons ago. Absolutely. But yeah, tell us about who you are and probably a little bit more around this PhD in sleep physiology that you, that, as you said, you completed Absolutely. in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. So, um, well, so I'm French. I'm actually French Chilean. My mom is Chilean. Mm. Um, and uh, so the thing about me is that I was kind of the scientist from early on. I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, kind of end up there accidentally, like, many people do. I was like, no, I want to do science. Um, a lot of people wanted me to do linguistics because I could speak English well, you know, in France. Yeah. And, and I was like, no, 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 I want to do science. Like just that's it. I fell yeah. in love with the DNA, basically. That was my oh, thing. Yeah. I was like, oh my goodness. When I found out about it, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. I want to do this. So, um, I went to uni, basically, do biology. I was obsessed with marine mammals. So I actually had a link with Australia, even during high school. I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to. I actually visited Cairns University, you know, because I was like, oh, where am I going to go see whales? And yes. <laughs> but when I started uni and I had my first neuroscience class, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. The brain the brain. This is it. Like, this is what I want to do. Found your calling. Yeah. So I was always obsessed with the brain. And so I was quite realistic in terms of the science. So at some point I was like, okay, I know that the career path is really hard. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, uh, genetics was booming. And so I found a a kind of a master's where you could do genetics, but also have a lot of other specialties. So I mm -hmm. did a lot of thing about, you know, cancer research, blah, 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 but also neuroscience. So I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I can do that. I can do genetics and have my little neuroscience on the side. Um, and the other thing that this program offered is a lot of internships. So I started really soon. I did my French internship in Italy and oh, then, wow. so that was the first year. The second year, I went to Harvard. Um, I worked on glioblastoma, so brain oh, tumor. Yeah. And actually, I 
kind of ended up at the right time, you know, the right time, the right yeah. place. And so yeah. I, they actually put some of my research in a nature paper. So I got, oh! a, uh, <laughs> yes, I was so lucky. That's um, amazing. Nature cell biology. And this is actually, it, it, they built a whole company on the concept of, you know, finding um, tumor markers in blood samples. So mm -hmm. that you don't have to do biopsies, which was also fantastic. Wow. I met I met some incredible researchers, and um, in between all of that, I had been to Japan for the first time, and mm -hmm. literally just fell in love with the country. I was like, oh my yeah. goodness! And and I think it's also my researcher side, you know, like it's so different. I was like, yes. how is it so different? I don't get it. Like yeah. in, in the current world, you know, we, we feel like we're kind of all the same. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? Like, yeah. and, and like people just think upside down, like it's just completely opposite. And so yeah. even to this day, like it's been 13 years since I first lived in Japan. So that was my third internship and I'm still obsessed every day. I'm like, I discover new things about the culture and stuff. So, and, uh, and so after that, um, I finished my master's. I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And I still wanted to do neuroscience, but I kind of wanted to go towards more humans. I was always obsessed with sleep. And so I found, so my boss from Harvard mm -hmm. had, had a contact. It was his roommate in Boston. Oh! who My was goodness. actually Aussie. And he told me this woman, she's amazing. Shout out to Amy Jordan. Maybe I'll send her the podcast. Yeah. Um, hey, Amy. And so she, she was my, my boss in Melbourne uni. I contacted her. And so since she had worked in Boston at first, she was like, wait, I think you just want to go work, you know, in Boston. I was like, no, yeah. no, no. I want to work with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because for all those playing at home, Boston is like the mecca for like biomedical science and and things like that. Yeah. I can I just go back. Why why were you obsessed with sleep? Was there something that kind of triggered yeah. that for you? Yeah, there was. Um, so I was always a sleepwalker. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And one day I had an accident. So, and, and so it was interesting because it, which tells you how scientist I am from very early on. Cause I was like 15, yeah. 16, but basically I was like, how come I've been sleepwalking my whole life and suddenly I had an accident. Mm. And so when I say an accident, I meant I jumped from, you know, the kind of mezzanine, the high, yes. high beds, two meter high beds fell on my yeah. back. Oh, Oh my goodness. And so after that, I was really like, why did this happen? How did this happen? And so many, many, many years later, I understood that I had a parasomnia, which is so basically sleepwalking happens when you're not, usually not dreaming. So most of the time you're dreaming during REM sleep, rapid yeah. eye movement, and you're not dreaming during non-REM sleep. So you're usually sleepwalking in non-REM sleep because yeah. you still have this level of awareness and you don't hurt yourself. You know, your environment and etc. And so I had basically had a sleepwalking episode while dreaming. And oh, that's where things wow. are really dangerous because when you're dreaming, you're not in the same environment. And, right. uh, but I was obsessed from then. And I was like, I need to understand better what's going on. I want to, uh, yeah. So now wow. I Wow. That's answer. really interesting. <laughs> yes. I love that. And I, you know, you typically find with scientists, I think, there's something personal 
Yes. You know, like absolutely. I, I wanted to be a geneticist because I grew up with a family where all three children had cystic fibrosis. Oh, wow. And so for me, it was that endeavor to, well, maybe one day I'll be able to cure this. You know, yes. there's got to be something going on with that. And I think I will let you continue, but I think similarly to me, you realize that genetics is probably not the path that you want to go down. Like <laughs> I was, I was like, oh no, there's lots of numbers and like, <laughs> you know, math. And, and similar to you, when you said to me, when you walked into your neuroscience lecture, the first one, and you were like, I'm done. This is where I need to be. This is, I was the same biochemistry first lecture, you know, Professor Rob Pike put up this like movie about biochemical like wow. movement and things like yes. that. And he was my honours and PhD supervisor after that. So, <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. there are those moments in time where you go, that was it. Yeah. Like that's where like there is a fork in the road and you just go that that other way. Okay. So Absolutely. you contacted Amy, you came to Melbourne. So you yes. did your... PhD with Amy, is that right? Exactly. And so basically, because like, I don't know, I, I had really this idea of like the career is the most important. I need to shine myself. So I was coming from a genetics background, animal world, mm-hmm. jumping into humans, right? So this is already mm-hmm. kind of like, mm, what are you doing? And you would know, I think it's not really clear when you're not a researcher, how crazy that is. Like the jump. Yes. The jump is huge. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so the jump between animal model, human model. And so Amy told me that they had a few projects that were kind of planned already. And one of them was working on obstructive sleep apnea in people with tetraplegia. So Oh, okay. Caught on a minute. We're going to have to slow that one down. Yes. Explain that one to us. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So basically, she was collaborating with the Austin Hospital, also in Melbourne, Mm -hmm. um, where David, my other supervisor, and he's specialized in tetraplegia, so people who are paralyzed from the neck down. Okay. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I should really challenge myself. Let's do that. So basically, I didn't go just into, you know, human kind of basic, able-bodied yeah. people. No, I went all the way to people all the way. The yeah, I love that. <laughs> you do crazy shit like that when, when, you, when you're like picking a PhD project, I find. Like people are just like, oh, yeah, I'm all in on that. And then you know, you're three years down the track and you're like, oh my God, why did I do this? Why did I, why did I say yes to that? That's just madness. And okay. So how did that project go? Like, yeah. So it was unbelievably hard. I was, I Mm. was, and the thing is, I don't know, I'm a bit naive with lots of things. So I didn't realize that when you're with humans, you actually have to like talk to them and like entertain them and like take care of them. They're not like a test tube or like, oh, can you just do this 15 minute survey for me? Exactly. No, I was, you know, before I was like with my my iPod and like myself and doing my things. And suddenly I had to do experiments while being focused on someone. Like, it's just such a like mind mess because you're doing so many things at the same time. And so we did an explorative study because we knew that sleep in tetraplegia is really bad. Mm -hmm. And we know that they have a lot of sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. And we decided to basically measure 
a thousand things. So completely, really explorative. Like, okay, let's test all of these things. All things. Yeah. And <laughs> just see, see where we land. To see which one is more relevant in that specific population. And so it was really hard because I, I had to basically plan 24-hour studies. Okay, it's normal in the sleep world, right? You yeah. Don't, you also don't think about that because I'm obsessed with sleeping, but then I go research sleeping, which means I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to yeah. watch yeah. people sleep. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, you don't think about that, do you? I don't. Oh, personally. wow. Yeah. And so what I guess you know, fast forward to like your thesis and everything, what what were the main findings that, that you guys obtained? Yeah, so the main findings were that they have basically more of a blocked nose. So that would mm-hmm. be, that's one thing we don't really hear about obstructive sleep apnea. Obstructive sleep apnea is extremely multifactorial. There's so many reasons why you can have sleep apnea. And again, that's a problem when you treat them because a lot of doctors don't go deep into why do you have sleep apnea? What is going to work for you as a treatment? And I think, again, that's another problem with the health industry where they're like, just use this treatment for everyone. It's going to work. And it's like, yeah. Oh, but- yeah. I love that <laughs> thick thick brush concept. Right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically a blocked nose is one of the things that will create a lot of sleep apneas because then you mouth breathe and the, your position and everything will create more events. And that's true for everyone. Everyone will have more apneas when they're sleeping on their back, when they're mouth breathing. So basically mm-hmm. their nose is blocked. It's related to the fact that they lose part of their autonomic nervous system. So the unconscious mm-hmm. conscious part of the nervous system, one is down, one is gone completely. Mm-hmm. Mm. And as a scientist, when I started doing that, I was like, wow. I mean, it's horrifying. It's terrible. Don't don't get me wrong. But also I'm like half of their autonomic nervous system does not work. And the body re-equilibrated in a way that it still works. Yeah. Wow. That's Um, fascinating, isn't it? So that was the main thing. They have a they have a blocked nose and it's hard because you know people are going to be like, "Ooh, just take some decongestant." But decongestant will bring a lot of ad- addiction kind of effects yeah, yeah. and then it yeah. will make it worse and stuff like that. So that was the main thing and then we also found some changes in signals in their brains, mm-hmm. which was the second big one. And yeah, so that was uh that was my Wow. PhD. Yeah. That's amazing. And so you finished your PhD. Mm-hmm. What came first, chicken or the egg? Did you fall into more like the motherhood kind of sleep consulting area before or after you had your daughter? Absolutely after. Uh-huh. Um, and I want to hear. Oh, I want to hear why. So you stepped into motherhood, mm-hmm. and and so what happened? What what was going on for you? And did you? Did you take anything from your sleep research in? Okay, so I guess walk us through, you know, the the newborn days. Absolutely. So obviously they're shite, you know, like sleep (laughs) is just like out the window. So what's going through? uh, Like I'm fascinated by this because someone who has research knowledge and like really, Mm -hmm. really deep understanding of neuroscience and what's going on. When you become a mother, and we know that there's brain remodeling when when you become a mother as well, which I think is really important to touch on, but what is going through your head as to how you approach sleep with yourself and your daughter? 
Can you walk us through yeah. that? Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is that the title of your podcast really resonates with me, you know, like the science yeah. of motherhood, because, you know, my handle is science for all women. Yeah. And yeah. there's there's some kind of similarities there, right? Yeah. It, we have, that's why I was thinking like we totally relate on a lot of things. So it started during pregnancy because I was like, okay, so now I'm pregnant. What's going to happen doing my research, you know, as you do as a scientist, like, okay, yeah. what's the deal? Okay, I have nausea. Okay, what's causing the nausea? And I start doing the research and I'm like, so we still don't know what causes nausea in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Half mm-hmm. half of the population can, can get pregnant. Let's say 75% of this half will get pregnant at some point and we still don't know. And I'm just like, this, this boiled my blood. Oh God, I was yeah. like, here we go. <laughs> I was like, wait, so do you understand how easy research that is? Like the number of blood samples that pregnant women give, like yes. it's probably I would estimate four or five probably factors that will create nausea. It's clearly biological and you can't yeah. tell me what it is like. And so that where that's where I was like, oh my goodness, I need more research. I need more science for women. So it was not just about mothers, but also like, you know, same for hormones and like, why do everyone ends up with polycystic ovary syndrome these days? Like, where Mm. does that come from? And so um, I was like, so the idea came early on and then it got pushed when, um, so my daughter was a good sleeper at night, actually, Uh, terrible sleeper during the day. (laughs) absolutely terrible but the main thing that I that I'm still kind of ashamed about is around three months I was like okay that's it now we have to sleep train we have to do cry it out this is how it works and so I kind of realized that in the sleep industry and that would also be because even if I was a sleep researcher I was a sleep researcher on adults right Mm -hmm. and so it's not like I'm gonna Uh, start saying that the research in babies is wrong because I haven't dived into it. You're not going to start doubting another, uh, you know, kind of theme of research without having dived into it. Like I would not do that. Yeah. And so with what we know about the current interpretation of many popular scientific articles about baby sleep, people will say, if you don't train your child, they're going to sleep worse. It's going to get worse, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't notice that I was brainwashed, basically. And so Mm. at three months, I was like, okay, let's do this. And so we start, literally, I lasted two minutes and a half, probably less. And my husband comes to me and he's like, "Um," he's also a scientist, by the way. (laughs) Lucky me. Yeah. Um, And he's like, Laura, um, why are we doing this again? Like, everything was going fine. Why are we making, like, why are we creating a problem, basically? Yeah. And he kind of really lit a light bulb. Like, I'm lucky because I hear, I meet a lot of moms where it's the opposite, right? The dad will be like, okay, we have to sleep train. Like, this is not possible anymore. Stop breastfeeding or whatever. But he was, he just, he just took me out of it. Like, just like, okay, Laura, calm down. You know, (laughs) there's no problem. And so, yeah. And then I was like, okay, this is, this is dumb. This is one size fits all. It doesn't fit me. And so I really went into this. 
as an experimenter, which is what we were talking about much early mm-hmm. on. Like this was mm-hmm. my guinea pig in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. was like, I'm going to try things and I'm going to see what works. And it was really hard because again, you have this push of like, your baby should be able to sleep outside. Your baby should be able to sleep in the light with the vacuum on. Uh, yeah. If they don't do it, it's because you haven't practiced enough or whatever. And yeah. it's like, Still you to have this a day. You're, you're a bad mom. You've got a you've got a bad baby. Exactly, and oh, wow. and still to this day, it's like my daughter would never sleep in the noise or outside, and so it really opens my eyes to really this diversity. And and again, as a scientist, we we know about this, but then mm. we're so brainwashed, and then we're like, oh, but maybe in this case, it's supposed to happen this way, or maybe you know, and we get into these milestones these progressions and being like this is what's supposed to happen for everyone and then you freak out and then you blame yourself or whatever yeah absolutely (laughs) I just want to ask so did you just backtracking a little bit did you like was there something that you were like oh at three months this is when we're supposed to do this like what were the external factors or feelings or something like that because I'm always curious to know that influence because I personally had the same thing happen mm-hmm. in the sense that my daughter was an okay sleeper. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that I landed a unicorn baby right. and she was sleeping like, you know, eight hours a night from, you know, 7 to whatever it is, you know, that magical, what do they say, 7 p.m. till 7 a.m., you know, that, <laughs> like, sleep yes. BS. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know whose child's doing that, but my child wasn't. But I had I had a moment in time where, you know, the catnapping was, was starting, the 45-minute right. sleeps, and initially I was just, like, going with the flow, and I was like, yeah, great, cool, all right, you know, it is what it is. And then someone had said to me, you need to fix that. And if you don't, it's going to end poorly for you. And I was like, sorry, what? And like, I, I just was like, oh my God, you know, there's something like my instant reaction was my baby's broken. Mm -hmm. I need, and if I don't fix it, I'm not a good enough mother. Like I'm not giving her the best chance possible. And I was Similar to you, like I was brainwashed with phrases like sleep breeds sleep. You know, like if you can get your baby to sleep, then, you know, it's just going to be a snowball effect and everything will be good. If your baby doesn't sleep during the day, they're going to be terrible at night and you've got to be able to learn how to help them. You've got to train them to link sleep cycles and it turned into an obsession. Serious obsession and anxiety and stress, and it dictated my life for, I'm not joking, a good two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty much the, like, you know, we have a good relationship, my my husband and I, but the the biggest arguments we would have would be around her sleep Mm -hmm. because I was like, she needs to be in the cot, dark, this, 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 by quarter past 10. And he's like, okay. And it would be like 20 past 10. And I'd be like, oh, my God, you're too late. And I would like just completely explode because I thought that I'd missed, you know, that awake window or whatever the hell it is. It's just so, so bad. So I wonder, like, what was it? Like, was was there something for you? Mm -hmm. 
So I think, uh, to be completely honest, I'm not quite sure. And so that's why I believe that as a scientist <coughs> in the sleep community, <clears throat> I was brainwashed really without noticing. So that's really the first thing where it was obvious. Like people were just talking about it. Like you will have to sleep train. Like this is just like. Uh, it's just like a norm type yeah. thing. Like it's like and this I'm is just sure. have to. I'm not sure if that would have happened if I were in France because I know that sleep I was training, gonna ask that sleep training is quite popular in Australia in America especially at, you know yeah. but um so that I don't know because I wasn't mm. sleep trained as a baby so mm. it's not like it's something that I had heard about before but I think for me it was more probably an internal problem in mm -hmm. terms of like first of all I'm obsessed with sleep so that's the kind of it's a good thing but a bad thing too right yeah. it's like okay yeah. and also I feel like and I've, I've actually talked about this in my community recently and I think I think about this thing about gratification when you have a newborn I feel like there's zero gratification like you'll do your best and you yes. don't receive anything in return 100% and I still remember feeling this like Oh, she's finally asleep. Yes, I did it. I'm a I'm a good mom, you know. And that was oh yeah. And I feel like this is, and I think it's a problem in the society because we're expecting this instant gratification for everything. And as a mom, you don't get it. Like, I mean, when I have my kitties, you know, I'll cuddle them, they'll start purring. I know they're happy. With a baby, yeah. it's like what shows me that everything, I mean, and and on top of everything, now they tell you if your baby smiles, it's an automatic response. It doesn't mean anything. Like, you know, and they hammer yeah. these things on top of it where it's like, no, it's not because of you. No, you didn't do anything good. Yes. Um, and so yes. I think I was really kind of craving this, like, I did it. I'm doing at least taking care of her physical needs and I'm doing good. And I felt like if I wasn't doing that, then I was failing. And so yeah. it was a bit of an obsession. And I think that even though I experimented a lot and I can see a lot of good things looking back, I can also see like, girl, you should have let go a little bit. Like, yeah, calm down. yeah, totally. That's so interesting, like around the kind of gratification point, because we we had Greer, Dr. Greer Kirschenbaum on the podcast and we were talking about the fact that like we just went totally like futuristic, like 2025 type thing. Yeah. And we were talking about the fact, you know, can you imagine if as a mother or any, you know, caregiver was able to see almost like, you know, like in Mario when they're like getting all the coins? Yes like this as you're going through the level and then you get the like you get like the bonus like prize and things like that if you could attach a device to a baby and if you could have like this virtual like thing where it's showing you all of like the dopamine and like all the neurotransmitters firing and all the synapses kind of coming together and like all the things that you are creating and what she terms yeah. It's like the nurture bath. If if parents could, could see, see yeah. the effects that they are having on their children by simply holding them, yeah, you know? Oh, yeah. Like we would all be in a better place and I would argue that quite possibly a lot of industries would go broke because, yes. you know, yes. places like 
I'm, I'm going to put it out there, something like a snoo, which I'm not against completely. Yes. I think it's a tool in the toolkit. But, you know, things like that or like... But um, even me, like I would be out of business. And to be honest, I wish that on the world. Like I oh, hope that we yeah. don't need sleep consultants anymore. And we were actually talking about that on a live with colleagues recently. And mm. one of them was like, when moms don't need me after, a, you know, a few sessions, I'm happy. Yes. It's not yes. good for business, but I'm happy. And I'm the same. I'm like, if yeah. like I remember this client recently. At first, she was emailing me every, you know, every few days and asking a lot of questions and she forgot our last session she was like oh I forgot I was doing something else and I was like you know what yes absolutely you don't need me anymore yes absolutely because education and knowledge is power and I think whenever a mother is empowered and confident in the decisions that she's making praise you because like I'm happy for all of the industries to go broke like we're the same in our doula village you know, we get to the point where the philosophy is that by the end of your, like, you know, six or 10 sessions or whatever it is, we want you to feel so confident in the way that you're nourished and nurtured and you're, you're mothering and all that, that you don't need us anymore. And like, that's fantastic. That's actually our goal, you know, because that's what you want from mothers. You don't want them like I was in an anxious mess yeah. where you're freaking out about your kid's sleep and you're just like, oh, my God, I'm not doing this right. I've missed the window by five minutes and my whole world's going to cave in. Like that's not, I can assure you, it's not a life to be living. No, it's not. Absolutely. And the thing that you were saying just before about seeing what's going on with our kids, we have it. We just lost it. And that's the other thing Mm. about this idea of like, I want science for all women is that, I remember when I started my getting pregnant journey, I had no idea. I mean, I knew the science of like ovulation and menstruation and all that stuff, but like within my own body, absolutely not. Like we're taught that, you know, basically having your periods is a bad thing, right? It's like, and it should be avoided. You should go on the pill so you don't have it. Like it's just this such negative thing. And I I still remember I started tracking my temperature because I really wanted to know more. I was really interested. Um, And the first time I felt my ovulation, I was like, oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Like I can actually tell what's going on in my body. And I feel like that was really... So again, with my community, some people are like, okay, how do I explain to moms how to connect with their instincts? And that's the first thing that came to mind with me. I was like, you know what? For me, it started there. It started with reconnecting with what's going on with me as a woman, Mm -hmm. being more in tune with, you know, I know when I'm ovulating, I know when I'm going to have my period and, and all these things that you are trained as young girls to ignore to pretend it's not there because when you reconnect with your body, then you're more connected with your genes that are going to become, you know, open to motherhood and the contact with your baby and knowing what your baby needs. And like the more you do it, like I still remember, and my, my daughter was older and she, she always had this crazy memory and she would talk even when she was not talking much, she was telling me stuff that happened a month ago. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, Oh, right. The blue truck that we saw past the the street the other day. And like, this thing is like so strong where I'm like, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And we need to listen. And the other thing I, I, 
currently always start with this with consult is the negative things that happen to your kids or, you know, in terms of like what's really hard is usually a sign that everything is going well. This is positive. And all the positive things that you see in your child, so you see them start walking, start being curious, um, start saying no, all these things are actually a sign that you're doing a great job as a parent. And so mm-hmm. we always like, as a parent, we'll be like, oh, I'm doing everything wrong because my child is not sleeping. No, they're not sleeping, probably because they're teething, because they're learning something new, because it's too hot, because it's too cold, whatever. But all the good thing that you see, don't take it for granted. Like this is yeah. your work. Like you're nurturing your child so they feel safe so that they can learn new things. And their brain is doing exactly that. Mm. Oh, I love that so much, Laura. That's so true because I remember thinking to myself, like when I got into my head that asleep, because there was another thing was the sleep regression whole thing was just like a nightmare for me. And so as soon as I flipped the switch and I was like, it's not a regression, it's a progression. She's moving forward. She has to have this moment of like neuroplasticity and disruption in her sleep to move forward so she can have this new developed skill. And so like as soon as I flipped it, I was actually – like it was, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was still shit. Like, you know, like yes, the sleep absolutely. deprivation was still really rough. But instead of viewing it through like such a negative lens, I took the, like, I took the card and I was like, I'm so excited to see what she's going to come out with on the other side. And whether it be, you know, newfound speech or crawling or standing up, like trying to stand up or, you know, something like that. As soon as we kind of just flick the lens to something else, it does become a bit more of an enjoyable journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do get, so it's it's not my most common clients, but I do get those kind of unicorn babies where yeah. the mom just needs to be like, okay, you're actually doing great. This is actually going pretty well. I understand. And I never minimize. Like for me, whether it's one wake or 10 wakes, I understand that it's hard Mm -hmm. either way. But reassuring them and being like, okay, first of all, you're doing great. We can put in place some more stuff. Uh, I can explain to you more about the brain, the attachment, et cetera. But you are supporting your baby. Look just look mm. how amazing you're doing. And again, this is this where when I come out on the other side where the mom naturally encourages herself, naturally knows what to do. Again, like I get those moms at the end, they send me emails just to tell me what happens. Like, so this happened and I did this. And I was like, okay, okay, I can see you're troubleshooting on your own. Perfect. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's the best part about motherhood. Like, you know, you you can try and try and do something different each and every time and then then you just find something that works for a bit and then, you know, lo and behold, they change and then you've got to like shift gears and everything like that. But, yeah, accepting the fact that you can, I guess, change your mind over and over again, which, you know, is just the beauty of life. Yeah. Otherwise it would just be a very, very boring place. I kind of want to talk just a little bit about, If you could talk us through maybe the top 
two or three myths that mm-hmm. you see in in your industry. So Absolutely. You know, whether it could be people coming to you saying, oh, but I thought X or someone told me this and that's what I've been running with. What are the top three things that we can myth bust right now for mm-hmm. all the listeners to cut and and maybe not necessarily like action something against it but almost like okay just put that aside and maybe try this instead mm-hmm. what do you find Laura? so the first one is the the few that you already talked about but um i would say the total sleep time is probably one of the biggest problem and that would also kind of go into why you and i had problems with sleep at the beginning it's like no more sleep they need more sleep And I love that we are in a world where sleep is taken more seriously, where, you know, because we have this idea of like productivity. So sleep is a waste of time. So I'm, I'm all for like, okay, let's take sleep seriously, but also it is extremely variable with, with, from people to people already in adults, like some adults will wake up every night to have a little snack or something, and then they go back to sleep. And again, I don't want to make it a problem unless it's a problem. And so for babies, it's really stressful because you will have such a big variation. And so as newborns between zero and three months, we're talking between 11 hours total sleep to 19 hours total sleep. Mm. So this is gigantic. And so whether you get the baby with 11 or 15 or 19 hours, the days are going to look completely different. Yeah. So that's, that's the first thing is like, okay, I am going to look at what my baby needs. I am going to try and experiment. I heard that you talked about possum. I think they're called what milk and moon now. Milk and moon babies right. yeah, is their platform now. Right. Yeah. So they do like to really go with like parents are active and do their things in the day so that the child just adjusts. I love that, but I have to be honest. And some babies like mine would never Mm. sleep outside. Like that will never happen. And even from three months old. So there are babies who will need a little bit more help. uh, And again, finding which environment works for them. And in terms of like, Again, lots of people will say, do not have naps in the dark. And I'm like, I disagree. Some babies will adjust really well with a nap in the dark. And again, it's going to be a practice. Like, try out, does your baby sleep in the light? And if they don't, do they sleep much better in the darkness? Because you have those babies who are extra aware. Like, they, their nervous system gets activated. Their nervous system is like, oh, what's going on? I need to be awake. And then there are the babies who are like, just drowsy and be like, oh, I'm chilling. Yeah, I don't care. I'm going back to sleep. Um, yeah, and- I could sleep on a rock, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so that kind of ties into one of the most important thing, which is for me, the nervous system is what guides your baby to sleep. So we have a sleep mode, rest and digest, which is the opposite of fight or flight. But the most important thing is when we're sleeping, our our basically our body goes more and more and more into sleep mode. So Mm -hmm. of course, if we start in the sleep mode, we are going to go, we are going to fall asleep more easily. Mm -hmm. Um, And so having this kind of calm, 
safe nervous system is what is going to help. So when we want a child to sleep, we shouldn't focus on like, I want to make you sleep. We should focus on, I want to make you feel good. I want to make you feel calm. And so in young babies, it is going to be a lot of cuddles, a lot of breastfeeding. If you breastfeed, obviously food is comforting and you have all of those hormones and, and mechanism in your body that links food with sleep totally Mm -hmm. normal so feeding to sleep is another myth busting like yeah don't don't bother oh don't stop me on that one (laughs) yeah yeah and especially I still think about it and I'm like how impossible is it to prevent your child from falling asleep when they're 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 feeding you know I think I tried it like twice and like it ended in big tears like mostly from me because I was just like this is just not working at all like I I think it's just an impossible task and if like I also feel like like from an evolutionary mechanism as well I think it's just ridiculous to think that a baby is not to fall asleep at the breast absolutely you know it doesn't it does not make sense. And again, this really is is horrifying. It's a torture for a mom because it's mm. like, I'm doing something wrong. My baby's falling asleep at the breast. And it's like, how would they not? Like, And then you're like torturing yourself. I mean, mom guilt is there already. Please don't add on. Like, don't yeah. add more. We've food. already got the layers. Yeah. Like, we don't need yeah. the cherry on top. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's really important to really <coughs> focus on this state of calm because a baby that is not it, that is scared for any kind of reason or uncomfortable will simply simply not fall asleep. And so for adults, it's the same. If you're mm-hmm. thinking about work before you're sleeping, you're not in the, the rest and digest mode. You're not going to fall asleep until you disconnect. And so for insomnia, it's the same. It's like, okay, you're going to have those people who are like waking up in the night and being like, I need to sleep. I need to sleep. I need to sleep. But you're in work mode. You're like trying to make yourself do something or, or, or strategize or something. Mm. The only way is to go back and being like, okay, what makes me calm? What makes me happy? And for older kids, we will even add a little bit of playtime because when you're in playtime, you are in this rest and digest mode. And so it is the perfect thing just before sleep for some kids, not for all. Some kids will love, you know, the lullaby, the white noise, whatever. And so that is what's going to help. And so when we go then into uh, linking cycles, it's the Mm -hmm. same. So you will have kids who link cycles. So no one links cycles, you know, we we all wake up partially <laughs> between cycles. That's the first thing. And the difference between the baby who will call between cycles and the baby who won't call between cycles is their nervous system, how active it is, how reactive it is. And so there's nothing wrong with the baby who's like, what's going on? I need to wake up. It's just how their body works and mm-hmm. they will need more support. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with the ones who are like, oh, I'm awake. Oh, no, I'm back asleep because their nervous system doesn't get activated. So any kind of sleep training that says you can train this, you can't train a nervous system that's so immature that the prefrontal cortex and any kind of emotional regulation is not starting to develop until three years old, until we're 25, 30 years old. So it's like just I mean, and this is ridiculous. I mean, we adults suck 
at emotion regulation and we expect these little less than one years old yes. to be like no you should learn to calm down on your own your yeah, how, nervous system how haven't you calmed down by now what's wrong with you <laughs> that is so true Laura I love the way that you that you've put that like and and I guess I just want to clarify like this whole because this is what got me down a rabbit hole of like anxiety and stress this whole linking of cycles it cannot be taught it only happens when developmental milestones have been met and you know that again is different for a lot of children but as you're saying like the way to I guess encourage a baby to sleep is actually to make sure that there's that calmness, as you're saying, calmness, they've been fed, the attachment, they know that they're safe. It's like with anyone, like if you if you shoved me into the bush, which is like, you know, five kilometres just outside here of my house, dropped me there and said, you're here for the night, I don't think I'm going to have a very good <laughs> night's sleep. You know, like, uh, you know, we in Tasmania, yes. we don't have wolves or anything like that, but we've got Tassie devils and we've got some of the most deadliest snakes in the world. Of course. I would be, I would be petrified. I would be like, oh my God, are you kidding me? But like, even what? less, less serious than that. Like, think about your first night at a hotel. How well do you sleep? Oh, even, I don't. Even if you're not with your kids and you're like, oh, finally, how well yes. are you going to sleep? Not great. No. It's this whole new surrounding as well. And Mm -hmm. equally, I think it kind of like co-sleeping as well. It's kind of similar to the concept, as far as I'm concerned, similar to the concept that you were touching on earlier where it was like, you know, even as adults, there's, you know, a selection of the population which can't emotionally regulate still. (laughs) But, you know, equally, if, you know, you have a partner and you're used to sleeping in the bed with them. And let's say your partner goes away for like business or like, you know, a weekend away with friends or whatever it is, and you're in the bed by yourself, it feels different. Absolutely. Like you feel more comfortable typically, or maybe you get extra room in the bed. Maybe you're loving it. <laughs> but like, you know, like equally, it feels different for when they're not there. And so then yeah. our expectation for a child to feel comfortable sleeping by themselves in a bed by themselves. I just think, as you say, for some children whose nervous systems are, you know, in that dialed up or heightened mode, maybe they're just going to need some extra cuddles and possibly co-sleeping might be beneficial for you in that, in that scenario, you know, and experimenting with that and obviously doing it in a really safe way is important but maybe that's just what your child needs. And the thing is, again, we we go to kind of another myth where we talk about sleep associations as a bad thing, but Mm. everyone has sleep associations. Your bed is a sleep association. Your special pillow is a a sleep association. Your husband is a sleep association. Like whatever music or whatever you do to wind down before is a sleep association. Like there's no, the only negative sleep association, and I don't know if this triggered you, but when I first heard about sleep negative sleep association, I was like, so scientifically, those should be either pain or stress. 
that's how associations have been done. You know, when you kind of uh, yep. train the dog yes. or whatever. Yep. Pavlov's dog. Exactly. Yep. Or, you know, they started with those little kind of sea creatures. And again, it was pain or stress. So let me think about what is a negative sleep association. Well, then isn't that sleep training? Like, isn't that cried out? Like, that's the actual only negative sleep association that I can think of. Or like, I think... I think you've hit the nail on the head, Laura. I think. And then I, we talk about all the yeah. negative sleep association as like breastfeeding, cuddling, holding. And it's like, wait, um, no, it's not. Actually- Hold on. Aren't they all evolutionary and natural physiological like And positive. Of- They're yes. positive. Yeah. Um, oh, my goodness. So in terms of getting better sleep and helping babies link cycles, we'll say that even if it's not quite true, I think we just have to go back to understanding a neural pathway in the brain and the fact that when, so let's say, for example, I want to do a new habit. I want to start, I want to start juggling. Let's say I want to start juggling. Okay, well, maybe tomorrow I'll start and I'll do two minutes of juggling with two balls. I'm not going to start with four balls and be like, oh yeah, now I can juggle. And also the habit of doing it every day. It's like, maybe at first it's going to be hard to do it every day. Maybe I'll do it every two days. Mm-hmm. So we we need to think about those paths as like, okay, I've done that for 50 days. Now this path exists for me because I've mm-hmm. done it before. Until mm-hmm. I've done it before, this path doesn't exist and it's not an option. And this we mm-hmm. talked, I, I've heard a lot of therapists talk about it, psychologists, you know, be like, okay, so you have a certain way of thinking. Let's try another way. But this is really hard at first because you're so used to doing this. And so for me, it's really like, okay, if if we help children use the path of having their nervous system go from up to down mm-hmm. and it this and I don't like to say train because it's not training it's yeah. just using yeah. it, this is going to be a path that they know that is common for for them and so when they are able to regulate their emotion their emotion more and more independently then this path exists already so mm-hmm. the co-regulation and helping our kids knowing that they can do this going for from freaking out to calming down is what is going to help eventually and maybe one day their nervous system won't activate as much or maybe yes. it'll activate only a little bit but this path is there and it exists and so mm. For me, this is really important and I can see it in my, in my daughter and it's not really bragging because uh, when I see her do something amazing, I always feel like, no, this is her. This is all her. Like I haven't done anything, but I can tell you. But you you have, Laura, you have. (laughs) But my daughter is highly sensitive, very, very, very sensitive with lights and noise and all of these things. And so emotional regulation, co-regulation has been a huge part of our life because I wanted her to be, to have the tools to survive because I'm a highly sensitive person and it's really hard for me to dial down. And so now I can tell you that most most of the time a teacher will be like, oh, she's so aware of her emotions, her needs and stuff because I've worked on this with her. She knows she can go down and she mm. knows what can help her. Even if, you know, maybe at some point it's not going to go fully down. She'll be like, okay, I need, 
I remember she went to summer school and it was the first day and I forgot the time I was supposed to pick her up. And so that was really bad, <laughs> super bad mom. But I came back and the teacher was like, yeah, okay. So she was like, okay, I need to go in a room calm. I need one person to stay with me. I need this, this, this. And I was like, I was so incredibly proud of being like, okay, she she knows how she feels already. Mm-hmm. And this takes a lot of time. My daughter is seven years old. And yeah. and and again, it's just like, okay, I know that I can count down. I, I know yeah. it because I've done it before. Yeah. Um, and I know that, I don't know if it's our generation, but I was not taught this. I was not no, taught that. I was not taught that yeah. either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, that's, that's amazing, Laura. And also I think, well, first of all, you need to take credit where credit's due. And I think um, I think that's amazing, the fact that your daughter is able to obviously connect with herself yes. and be in tune, but equally have the capacity to verbalise that to an adult uh, as well. Like that is another, that's another level, I think, because, you know, I've, I've, I've done a lot of therapy around you know connecting with your feelings and things like that and it is it's that practicing of over and over again like creating that new pathway of okay don't explode with like an emotion what am I feeling what am I feeling how am I feeling this why am I feeling this okay so what am I going to do with that emotion and then that final step of like being able to verbalize it to the external kind of people around you without having like this huge explosive emotive kind of event is so difficult like it was difficult for me as an adult like I can't even imagine being able to do that as a seven-year-old but um I think that's amazing and well done to you mama you're doing such an amazing job thank you but Um, it's true that I think about that and I'm like besides I don't know like I breastfed for three years and a half and I feel like my daughter has a really good sense of hunger and things like that mm-hmm. um my second biggest proud pride is that it's like I look at her and I think of me at the same age and I'm like she has such an amount of tools uh besides her confidence mm-hmm. <laughs> which is what you were talking about where she's like she's not afraid to say you know take care of me you're supposed to take care of me and I need this 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 but I see her and I'm like wow she's equipped for this world a little bit better um and she's also not ashamed you know she validates the fact that that's what she needs Mm -hmm. and that's also I feel like I'm missing as an adult like I I kind of still feel like I need validation from other people I I struggle giving it to myself but she she does and she's like no I'm feeling this way I need this right now and and for me all of this is the reason why um sleep gets better because again it is about taking care of your nervous system and it's not about making your baby sleep it's about maybe you're making your baby calm Yes, I love that. Oh my God, Laura. Okay. I think we're going to end it just there because I feel like we can deep dive into so many other things and I would love to have you on the podcast again, but I think we will end with our rapid fire questions. Okay. What is your top tip for newborn mums? If you could like, you know, plaster something on a big poster board, what would it be? 
Um, so I would definitely try to have a village and that goes with what you're saying for me, whatever kind of village you can have, if you have the means go all out by any means, like have a nanny come and become part of your family, have a cook, have someone to clean for you. But more than that, surround yourself with people who will validate you and Mm. who you connect with. And so even like, I know that when I have clients onboarding, I will always be like, "We, I want to fit you. I want you to feel good with me. This is going to be the most important thing besides their qualification and everything like that. How do they make you feel? Are mm. they answering all your questions? Are they listening to you? Are they taking you seriously? Do they accept that you are the expert and not them? Mm. Oh, I love that one. I love that. I love that. Do you have a go-to resource, um, for I guess, for mums, um, particularly, uh, I guess, in this kind of newborn period, whether it be a book or a workshop or anything like that? Well, my <laughs> my Instagram is full of, of good information in terms of sleep and science. I really try to mix the two and, and make it clear you know like how I debunk for example sleep training and um, I've talked recently about connecting sleep cycles and the progression because apparently there's also this thing about our progressions real and and all these things <laughs> but other than that well actually okay I am actually working on a book um, oh! I got a book deal but it's gonna be in French I hope we can do an English version after oh done. my goodness yes. it has to be bilingual oh my it, goodness I really hope we can do the the English version so coming up soon <laughs> oh wow Laura congratulations that's amazing thank you I'm that so is so excited. good okay our final question is what do you have on your bedside table? So I actually don't have much. So actually I have something under my pillow and basically it's going to be anything. So my phone, (laughs) nothing, nothing magical. It's my phone and I'm going to have, well, plain mode. Absolutely. But uh, either uh, nice music or my favorite, like I know there's lots of sleep apps, but there's one. It's like this guy is Andrew Johnson. His voice. I don't know what accent it is. I don't know if he's Scottish or Irish or something. I find it so soothing when really I have trouble calming down, you know? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I listened to, I don't know her name actually. Actually, I'm going to look it up. I use the Insight Timer and there's one one woman on there who I absolutely love and I've been doing the Yoga Nidra because I've just been so, like my nervous system has been dialed up a little bit lately and so I've been listening to her. What's her name? Um, I just found out about this Yoga Nidra. Like literally oh last goodness. week, I was like, what is this? I've it is so it. good. <laughs> um, it's Yoga Nidra for Sleep is the title of the um, track. And it's by Jennifer Piercy, P-I-E-R-C-Y. And for all those playing at home, it's called the Insight Timer. It is one of only two apps that I ever recommend to mothers. You can bin the rest. Like I... <laughs> downloaded all these apps around like you know how like your development for your child and what you can do with your newborn every day and like all this other complete bs um but the yoga nidra is amazing we recommend it to all our fyc mamas because you know some people have said that half an hour so 30 minutes of yoga nidra can be equivalent 
and as restorative as three hours of sleep. So, you know, touching I heard the about system. that. I heard but about women, that. women, yeah, who have just like completely dialed up, particularly in the middle of the day where you're like, I can't actually nap. I like, I'm just too ugh, jittery and wired. Just lie down, put a yoga nidra track on. There is something about, there is something about it. And it just like, you're just so like calm. And then inevitably, again, you're so calm. That typically, like I just bang, I fall asleep. I don't even make the end of the track. I've never heard the end of the track. I probably, like you know, I have, but like I've been asleep. I'm done. Yeah, um, I do the same with this Andrew Johnson. And the interesting thing is that you have this idea that in order to fall asleep, you need to not be too focused. Yes. But if you actually are more focused on the instructions, I yes. feel like you're gonna fall asleep way yes, faster. 100- 100%. I had that thought in my head the other day because I was like, oh, I'm so in tune with this woman's voice and I'm listening to her and I'm doing everything that she's saying because, you know, it's like, okay, now, you know, feel your shoulders and have them relaxed. Now move down your arms. And you're so focused on moving through your body that all of a sudden, like you say, you're just like, oh, I forgot about all the stuff that was just like occupying my brain, you know, yes. the reason why I can't go to sleep. Yes, exactly. Oh, my God. Exactly. No, and actually uh, that's another thing, and I guess it sounds a bit similar, but when I can't sleep, the first thing I'm going to do is body scan. Definitely. Find all the points of my body touching the, the and, and just this focus because you're letting go of everything else. You will put your body in the rest of the yes. mode. Yeah. That is so, so true. Okay, Laura, where do we find you? How can people connect with you? Like, <laughs> seriously, people need to connect with you. Like, you are totally our jam on sleep. Oh, thank you. So uh, definitely on Instagram, um, science for all women. It's spelled out as it is. Women, multiple women, not women. And my website is SciWom, so S-C-I-W-O-M.org. Um, I'm preparing some more um, online products for families to have, you know, easy access to, to me and it's cheaper than, you know, getting a one-on-one consult. And in the future, I hope I can also do some services for sleep coaches to have more of the science. And, you know, um, we need the holistic sleep community to become mainstream. I want all the moms in maternity wards to know that it, there's not only sleep training available for them. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through all of that. And debunking those myths and I hope even if there's just one mum out there who goes oh that is the permission I needed to burn that sleep schedule that sleep training or to have the courage to just smile and nod if someone tells them that their baby is broken and that they need to be taught how to link sleep cycles otherwise their life is doomed so if you are that mama praise be like yes. all power go to you. you absolutely yes, go you and ex- and you know experiment work out what's best for you and your family and and try to just push aside what you know, the rest of society is kind of trying to shove down our throats at the moment. Because as you say, 
So many people are told that this is the only way and it is not. And just, you know, lean into your intuition. Mamas, you are the experts on your babies. Absolutely. And I always say there are as many sleep solutions as there are families. I love that. I love that, Laura. Well, thank you so much. And we will catch you next time. Thank you. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.